Chapter 44, We're All Broken, Story Box 2. There's a point when I get so worked up I can't tell my emotions apart. Am I angry or sad or scared? Is it everything at once or none of the above? Mr. Richardson said that when I feel that way, I should grab one emotion like a rope and pull myself back to the moment it first hit me, retrace my footsteps, do some mental detective work. While we followed the silent street to Naomi's shimmering gateway, I followed my tangled and raw feelings back to their beginnings. There was anger at Eddie for leaving me, stress over Ayana and Chestnut being injured, fear of things getting even worse and my not being able to get back home, frustration with everybody telling me man up or it'll be fine or go punch something because it'll make you feel better. By the time we arrived at the large plaza and stopped in front of the towering gateway, my hands were shaking and my heartbeat was pounding in my ears. You okay? Thondiway asked. I wasn't sure what would come out of my mouth, so I just nodded. High John looked around uneasily. Something don't feel right. What? Gum baby don't see anything. Nah, it's in the air, he glanced at me. Do you feel it too? The rhythm, the wind, it's all wrong. That hole in the sky is turning this world inside out. Ah yes, one more emotion I'd forgotten about. Guilt. High John was right. The electric rhythm, the drumbeat, the words from the land that I'd gotten used to hearing in the background, they'd all disappeared, leaving just a buzzing hum, like speakers cranked all the way up with no music playing like lightning about to strike. There's a storm coming, I said, keeping my voice low. I can feel it. We need to hurry. Yeah, High John looked around one more time, then checked to the sky. Yeah, sure you're right. We ran through the gate and down the path to the sky god's palace. I felt the statue's golden eyes on me again, but this time their gaze was more appraising than threatening. The story box felt heavier as I lugged it past them, and when we reached the final statue, the old queen who'd saved us from the bosslings, I swear I saw her wink. Did she just? Gum Baby whispered from my shoulder, and I nodded. I think so. The burning sky crackled overhead as we slammed through the giant palace door and skidded to a stop in Naomi's hall. Leopard paused in mid-paw lick. Python raised his massive head from the stone floor, and the sky god sat moodily on the throne. Well, Naomi said, his eyes flashing almost as bright as the terror in the sky. The non-hero returns. The ungrateful, the selfish, the spurner of gifts. Come to complain some more? His eyes moved to Gumbaby and softened, then to Thondiwe and High John where they lingered. And you've changed your team. Interesting. Is this a downgrade or an upgrade, young Tristan? High John had both hands in his pockets, but I could see the anger in his jaw when he spoke through tight lips. Your sky god seems upset, he said. All this gold and nobody to impress. Naomi got off his throne and stalked down the day's stairs. Mind your tongue, vagabond. You are here because I allow it. Sit back down and count your money, Pops, High John said with a sneer. You ain't scaring nobody in here. Leopard growled, a rumble like thunder in a forest. 
and the massive beast prowled over. High John grinned a wide, easy smile that I was starting to suspect meant the opposite of good times ahead. Tell your kitty to play nice before I send it outside to chase its tail. The grin disappeared and High John's shadow started to stretch and grow after I remove it. Naomi's eyes began to glow and I sighed and stepped between the two. Honestly, adults are the worst. Do as I say, not as I do hypocrites. Eddie and my memories were out there somewhere and these two were having a spitting contest. I see you're feeling better than the last time we were here, I said, dropping the story box in front of the sky god. Naomi paused, scowling at the interruption, then froze. Is that? he asked, reaching out a trembling arm, and I nodded. He traced a finger over the splintered and warped lid, then let his hand fall. The symbols etched on its sides sparkled briefly, as if they remembered their former glory before they faded back to worn shadows. It's been emptied, he whispered. Anansi did it, I said. The sky god looked up, his eyes brimming with the sorrows of a thousand lost happy endings. I held up my adinkra bracelet. It's the only thing that makes sense. We found his notes and the iron monsters he'd been researching. The story box. He used it to attract them. Like bait. But something went wrong. There was a mishap, a fight. I think he accidentally drained it of its stories. Naomi picked up the box and hugged it to his chest. Anansi, he repeated, staring blankly at a waterfall across the room. He summoned the pedestal from under the floor and placed the story box gently on top. Then he leaned on the stand, suddenly seeming old and weary. But where are the stories now? Thandiwe asked. And why did the weaver go into hiding? She looked between me and Naomi. When Anansi gave us the box, you hadn't even punched the sky open yet. The iron monsters were still scattered and weak. I winced at the reminder that most of this was my fault. I don't know, but I plan on asking when I see him. So you still intend to go through with this? Naomi asked. We have to. When I smashed the bottle tree and created this mess, something fell into this world along with Gumbaby and me. I ain't. I know what he wants now. He wants the story box so he can get stronger. Hi, John thumbed his belt buckle and frowned. You keep on saying he, not it. This supervillain of yours got a name? When I saw him, he told me to call him Uncle C. Naomi narrowed his eyes. Uncle? Uncle? You are related to this creature persecuting my people? The suspicion in his tone made me flinch, but I stood up straight and shook my head. No, of course not. It's his idea of a sick, twisted joke. And he's coming for us, for me, and he's bringing the mafia with him. Naomi stood up straight. Here? Take a good look at the sky, sky god, High John sneered. The edges of Naomi's fists began to glow white hot, and before things got any worse, I had to step in again. Enough! Iron monsters are coming back here, and they're just the first wave. According to the ridges on Makita, there could be a big war. I looked at Thandiwe. She told me the elders felt it as well. Thandiwe looked troubled. So what do we do? I kept my eyes on Nayami. We need to restore the story box. Then we can lure Anansi and convince him to close the hole in the sky. 
that will weaken the iron monsters enough for us to be able to destroy them. And this Uncle C? Nayami asked. Hi, John stepped up to my side. We'll deal with him, the boy and I, together. I smiled sadly at him. It will take more than just you, me, and old familiar, or even John Henry and Miss Sarah and Miss Rose. He stiffened. I'm not going to fight with... There's no other way, I interrupted softly. I turned to Naomi. We're going to have to work together, midfolk and Alkians. Naomi and High John eyed each other, and the sky god snorted. It was a very human thing, now that I think about it. Like two boxers who had just finished a match that ended in a draw, both knowing they'd fought a classic bout. Yeah, we'll see, High John muttered, and I rolled my eyes. So, can you fix the story box? Thundiwe asked Nayami. He pursed his lips, then shrugged. I can, though I can't see what good it will do. Anansi's trickery may prove to be the end of us all. If be your own people, muttered Gumbaby. Of all the sticky things that had come out of that doll's mouth, that may have been the stickiest. Nayami sighed and planted himself in front of the day. He grabbed the lip of the pedestal, spoke a few words under his breath, and it lifted and began to spin slowly with the story box on top. He muttered more incantations as he reached into thin air and pulled out things I'm not sure I can describe, though I'll try. He filled the cracks in the wood with a father's pride and a mother's belief. He wove dying rays of sunlight and a breath of fresh air together in ribbons of ivory, which he sent over to wind around the sides of the box and then pulled them tight to straighten the warped planks. The glimmer of a river was molded into place on the lid, and he added the flash of a gem to the latch. I heard laughter as he reinforced the corners with glee. Finally, he outlined the top and sides of the box with gold filigree and stepped back. Naomi blew gently on the story box, and like an artist removing shavings from a sculpture, revealed his gleaming masterpiece. Holy, High John breathed. Sweet peaches, I said. Gumbaby clapped. The gold and ivory box was almost too pretty to look at, and the longer I stared at it, the more I was drawn to it. Deep inside me, I heard the power Naomi had called upon, and I... High John grabbed my wrist. Easy there. I frowned. What? I began, then stopped. I started walking forward without realizing it was inches away from plucking the story box off the pedestal. I swallowed and took three giant steps back. No wonder everyone wants it. Naomi looked proud. I do good work. Yeah, yeah. Gumbaby said, crossing her arms. Gumbaby will give you a sticker. Now where's Anansi? Gumbaby got some questions that need answering, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Nayami eyed her for a second, then shook his head and headed for the door to the rooftop gardens. The floating pedestal with the story box on top trailed him, still spinning. Gumbaby made a face at the sky god's back, and we all followed. In the gardens upstairs, Nayami settled the pedestal near the front edge of the palace roof overlooking the marina and the bay. The sky god studied its placement for several seconds and made some small adjustments. Thandiwe looked at me and I shrugged impatiently. I wanted this to be over with. I wanted Chestnut back with us. I wanted to check on Ayana to see if she had been healed. The world may have been in trouble, but friends are friends and I wanted them close by. Tristan? Nayami called. He pointed to the story box. It's time. Open it.
I nodded, then wiped my palms on my shorts. This was it. The moment we'd fought, struggled, cried, and worked so hard for. Gumbaby patted my head and Thandiwe saluted me with her fist. High John grinned and winked. I took a deep breath, then stepped in front of the pedestal. Find the thread, Naomi said before he stepped back. The thread. The common story we all share that passes from city to city, from country to country, from world to world. The story that everyone's uncle wants to tell again and again. The story told at the water cooler. The story told around the campfire. The story told at bedtime, whether in Chicago or Alabama, the Golden Crescent or Midpass. I closed my eyes. Music, drum beats, clapping, laughter, calls, responses. And there, beneath it all, Hanging by a silver strand of childlike anticipation, I saw it. Let's say there was a land where the people once lived. A land of story, of dreams, of heroes, and of gods. A land born of pain and joy, for all stories contain both. Let's say this land was called Alki. The rhythm gathered beneath my skin and my palms itched with the need to create, to shape. I grabbed the thread with both hands and opened my eyes. The story box burned with light so bright it seared my vision and left behind floating dots of color. It shone like a beacon, a lighthouse of hope and joy. Thandiwe gasped. The pedestal beneath the story box turned into a pillar of light, and symbols blazed to life within it. In trails of copper ink guided by an invisible hand, the symbols were applied to the magnificent chest in honor of the gods of the Golden Crescent. Their adinkras blurred from reddish gold to dazzling white as beneath them scenes from another time were depicted. People danced in a circle around a glowing golden box as a man with golden eyes watched over them. A spider wove a web of silk that turned into words, and men and women wearing the spiderweb adinkra collected the words and marched off. A group of people, including a spider and a being with gold glowing eyes, confronted a terrifying creature rising out of the sea, their hands outstretched, preventing the evil from advancing. This last image wasn't as bright as the rest, and that bothered me a bit, but then the splendor of the entire story box swept me away. It was glorious, beautiful, amazing, but... Where's Anansi? Gumbaby asked. She stomped around, looking in the bushes, and splashed through the waterfalls. Where is he? I could feel the energy rolling off of the story box in waves. Naomi could feel it, too. I knew, because the Adrinkra on the hems of his robes flared with golden light, and his eyes did the same, and High John could sense it. His shadows stretched across the rooftop over flowers and statues. So where was Anansi? Naomi turned slowly toward the west and peered out at the ocean. He stood there, frozen for several moments. Something is wrong, he whispered. He turned to me. Close the box. Quickly now. A loud roar sounded in the palace below. I flinched, severing my connection with the story box. Leopard roared again and again, and High John frowned. Suddenly, he too went stiff as he looked over the ocean. Without a word, he twisted into his shadow with a gust of wind, and in the next instant, he took off into the sky on Old Familiar's back. The giant shadow crow called a cod as they soared above us. What do you see? Naomi called. A burning wave, biggest I've ever seen, High John shouted back. It's knocking aside boats like they feathers. Sure it is. A wave? Naomi muttered. He turned to me. Tristan, 
but I wasn't paying attention. My eyes were glued to the marina, where a tsunami carrying columns of fire was sweeping toward us. Boats and oversized yachts crashed into each other with noises that sounded like cannons and gunfire. What's happening? Thandiwe shouted. Gumbaby scrabbled up to her perch on my shoulder to look, and she gasped. Before I could answer, something rose out of the sea and out of my nightmares, too. A dilapidated vessel, bigger and more horrifying than any bone ship, split the surface, growing larger and larger. Its masts were shattered, and its grimy gray sails hung limp and torn. Holes of different sizes dotted the hull, and burning seawater flooded out like lava. Figures moved on the deck, fetterlings, hundreds of them. And with them came that familiar feeling of suffocating terror, the weight of years, decades, centuries of hate and violence. It all gathered in the air and pressed down on my shoulders. The stench of death and dying of rot and decay rolled over me. I knew those feelings. I knew that presence. I had been inside that vessel. Uncle C was in that thing, which meant that ship was... The Mafa, I whispered.